our fun little way of kicking off a new sermon series today. As you can see, uh, we spent some time doing that. It is a real, real shame uh, that I never get to have any fun at work. Uh, I think you guys should feel especially sorry for those of us on staff here uh, who get paid to do fun, goofy little things like that. So anyway, that is our way of letting you know that we are kicking off a new sermon series here for the next few weeks, and we are going to be talking about relationships, uh, all sorts of different relationships. It'll make for a real fun month of February here. No, it really will. Um, but of course, we are doing all of that in the context of our series for the year, which is to know and to be known. And, you know, the context of our relationships, those things that kind of have the ability to define what kind of a day we're having, how things are going for us right now, um, are really, we're excited to be able to take a look at those in the sense of being able to know others well, to be known well with others, and of course, then with God as well, who is um, just seeing all of this and and uh, and working in us and through us for His purposes. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about family, and I know that for a lot of us, when we talk about family, it can be kind of an interesting type of situation. Sometimes we think about the family we grew up with, or uh, the family that we have now, the family that we had. Uh, the you know, sometimes it's joyful. Sometimes it's it's like today when we do a baptism and it's beautiful, sometimes we look back with different sorts of feelings. So anyway, I want to say that we can have a lot of different emotions and a lot of different feelings and um, things can come to our mind when we are talking about family. And in the context of looking at our, our relationships today, we are going to talk here in a little bit about a fundamental law of life, something that plays itself out time and time again and you can pretty much plan on it. And this law that we're going to talk about really has the ability to deeply impact our relationships. And then there's God in that and through that who steps in and uh, makes all things new. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we really dig in and get started, um, since I know this topic can be a little heavy and since the Bible reading we just heard, you know, not exactly, yes, uh, I think it'd be great if we started out with a little bit of laughter. And as you saw from that uh, bumper video that the different campuses made, the, the sermon today is Modern Family. And so I thought it would be appropriate to find a clip from the TV show Modern Family, which is one of my favorites. And it was not easy to find a clip. Uh, just it's a little PG-13, but very funny. But I worked really, really hard on this. So it's okay to laugh. Take a look. So, oh, the messes that we make, right? The tangles that we get put together and the lying, the manipulating, the conniving. It's not often that you can say this, but that reminds me of our Bible reading. For today, um, we uh, heard this story about about Jacob and Esau, and so if you have your Bibles, open them up to Genesis chapter 27. We're going to jump around a little bit, but that'd be a good place for us to get started. So we joined in at the part where Isaac and Esau realize that they have been tricked, and there's quite a bit that goes on leading up to that situation. So we're going to take a look at it for just a few minutes here. Jacob and Esau were twin brothers, and their father was Isaac. So if you remember. Isaac was the son of Abraham, and Abraham is the one to whom God said, Abraham, you're my guy, and we're going to do, we're going to go out, you're going to have so many descendants, you are going to be the leader of a great nation, the father of a great nation, you will be blessed to be a blessing to others, and so God is getting this whole thing started with Abraham, and then Abraham had a son, and this, his son was Isaac, and then Isaac had two sons, and his sons were Jacob and Esau. Now, they were twins, but Esau was born first, and so 
technically, Esau would have been the firstborn and so the one to receive the blessing then that would have come from Isaac. Now, the thing with this blessing, though, usually these blessings included property and land rights and all of that sort of thing. But because of this promise that God had made to Abraham, this blessing was a little bit more than that. This blessing included being the one then who would continue these promises that God had made to Abraham and then had renewed with Isaac. And this would then be the blessing that would uh, carry on then what God was doing and lead to the continuation then of the nation of Israel. So... There's a lot more riding on this blessing even than what normally would have been riding on it. Um, the Bible tells us that as these boys grew up, they were always at odds with each other. The Bible tells us that when they were born, uh, they, they were born and, and Jacob was grasping on to Esau's heel, which other than sounding like a really horribly, terribly painful situation, it also then tells us that these boys were at each other from the very beginning. And Esau was always trying to keep his little brother at bay. And Jacob, as the younger brother, was always trying to catch up to whatever it was that Esau was doing or whatever it was that Esau had. From the very beginning, this was going on. And the Bible goes, comes out and tells us really plainly, we don't have to guess about it, in chapter 25, verse 28, the Bible tells us that Esau was this you know, outdoorsy, kind of rough and tumble, apparently the hairiest man who has ever lived. And he was also his father's favorite. And then we also learn that Jacob, who was more mild-mannered and who was more soft-spoken, he was his mother's favorite. So you can only guess how this kind of blatant favoritism played itself out with these young men as they, as they grew up. And so there's all of this tension and this history that is going on between these boys. And then here where we are in chapter 27 of Genesis, Isaac decides that it's time for him to give this blessing to his son Esau, his oldest son. And so by this time, Isaac feels that he is fading. He feels that he might uh, die at any day, but interestingly, he lives for like at least 20 more years, but that's fine. I mean, today is a day. And his, his sight is fading. He can't see very well, and he, he must have not felt well. He thought things were coming. So he tells Esau, his outdoorsy hunting son. He says, go out, get some game, make it into a stew. It'll be real great. You'll come back and we'll talk and I'll give you the blessing. And so this is happening and Esau then does what his father asks him to do. And in the meantime, Rebecca has heard all of this. Rebecca has heard Isaac say, you know, that now is the time where the blessing is coming. And Rebecca decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands in this situation. She has been told, she was told before the boys were even born, that the younger son would rule over the older son. And she hears now that it's time for this blessing to be given, and she thinks this is the, her last chance, this is the last moment. And so they come up with this incredibly ridiculous charade that they are going to try and pull off. And so Rebecca comes up with, with this, and she presents it to Jacob. And Jacob, for his part, doesn't really protest a whole lot. So he goes out and, and gets a goat, and he takes the goat, and then he makes it into his, a stew just the way his father likes it. And then um, 
because Esau is super duper hairy and apparently Jacob's not, and then he takes the goat and he puts the skin on, I don't even know. But anyway, it was to make him hairy, okay? And so he does this and he makes the stew and he takes it into his father. And then we can pick up with this in uh, Genesis 27, verse 22. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, but the hands are Esau's, Isaac said. No kidding. And then verse 26. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. <laughs> so this is kind of this very strange episode that I, frankly, I'm just going to be honest, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around this situation, but this is what the Bible says and this is what happens, so okay. So then we pick up in the verses that we heard read this morning and in verses 30 through 40, and here's where things get real serious because you can hear the anguish in Esau's voice. When he realizes that he's had this ripped out from underneath him, it does not go particularly well. He cries out to his father, don't you have one more blessing and his heart is broken and he knows that he's been tricked and then it goes on in verse 41 from that time on Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing and Esau began to scheme I will soon be mourning my father's death and then I will kill my brother Jacob now I don't know about you but this makes my family look pretty awesome uh, there's some real serious anguish and some serious hurt in this situation. And if we think about this and really take a look at it, you know what? We are bound to have some discomfort with the way this whole thing kind of went down because we kind of, we raise our kids and many of us were probably taught to believe that you do unto others as you want to have done to you. We teach and, and want to believe that winners never cheat and that cheaters never win, right? But yet this whole situation is just covered in deception, and it seems to us a little bit, right, like God's kind of gone along with it, right? That's uncomfortable for us to think about the way this kind of all went down. Now, the truth is that this happened, and then Rebecca's worried about Esau killing Jacob, and so she sends Jacob off to go live with her uh, with her brother. And so Jacob goes, and he's gone for the next 20-some years, and the Bible doesn't tell us that Rebecca ever saw Jacob again. So there's a pretty serious natural consequence that goes on here, but still, if we're honest, we're having a hard time figuring out how God let all of this happen the way that it did. We could look, in fact, as the early uh, hearers of this story would have heard it and as the way we hear it, and we can get a sense with what God's doing that is entirely possible that it was God's intention the whole time to take to take what we think are normal social conventions and what we think the normal rules are and to actually just completely flip them on their head. So I wrote all these names out ahead of time so you wouldn't have to look at my backside for 10 minutes. That's my gift to you uh, as we continue here with this. But uh, when we look at all of these, these people who played a part in this story and played a part in what God was doing, we start out with Abraham. And Abraham, if you remember, actually had two sons, right? Ishmael was the oldest son who he took matters into his his own hands with Haggai, uh, the servant that his wife Sarah had given to him and said, here, do this and have, have a son. And through uh, that, then God will be able to continue with his promises. And God's like, no, I actually really meant for it to be you, Sarah. So then there's Isaac, and he's the second 
born son, and he's actually the one who receives the blessing. And then Isaac comes up here, and then he has the, the sons that we're talking about today. He's got Esau, and he's got Jacob. And Jacob, of course, as we know, the second born son becomes the one who receives that blessing. And then we go on, and Jacob has a whole bunch of sons. We don't really need to worry about all of these. Number 11 is the one that we care about. Number 11 was Joseph, and Joseph is the one who receives the blessing from Jacob. And Jacob, or excuse me, then Joseph goes on and has sons, and Joseph's sons are Manasseh and Ephraim. And if you haven't been paying attention, you would think maybe it's Manasseh, but if you have been paying attention, you would be able to guess that it's going to be Ephraim who gets the blessing in that situation. It's almost like purposefully God is saying, I don't care about what it is that you think the conventions are supposed to be. It's almost like on purpose God is saying, my ways are bigger than your ways, and I'm sorry that you don't get to understand them, but this is kind of the way this whole thing is going to play out. It's almost like God is messing with what humans think the social order should be on purpose. Rebecca... Her focus is right here. She doesn't have the benefit of seeing how these things are going to play out. She knows that God has promised that Jacob would be the one to rule over his older brother. But she hears the words that Isaac says to Esau. And she can't imagine a way, by way, if these words are said to Esau, that God's going to be able to do anything around it. So Rebecca decides that she needs to spring into action. Now, here's where this fundamental law that I was talking about comes into play. Because Rebecca, at that moment, had a choice. And for those of you that, are, that have taken core, you'll recognize this as a, one of those Kairos moments. If you haven't taken core, no big deal. It really just means that this is a moment in time where things are going to change. And when we look back on it, we will either see that God showed up or that we prevented that from being able to happen. It's one of these moments in Rebecca's case where she had the option of making the choice that was the harder choice, but it was probably the right choice. That would have been the choice to wait, to trust, to let God do what God was going to do. Or the other choice, which is the easier at the time wrong choice and take matters in to her own hands. And here's the thing. We can make the hard right choice or we can make the easy wrong choice and almost inevitably every single time that hard right choice leads to I'm so glad I did. Whereas that easy wrong choice leads to I wish I had. And so we go through and we live our lives and we look back at these series of choices and so many times we are left with I'm so glad I did or I wish I had. And we all live in families. We know how this plays out in families all the time. Short-term, long-term, it plays out in families all the time. I have really silly examples of this. So my family, there are four kids. They are 9, 12, 14, and 16. And in November, we went on this family vacation and... Uh, we knew that we were going to this place that's kind of a tourist trap. And one of the things that we were thinking about was how we were going to deal with the fact that every time we turned around, they were going to be asking us to buy something that was at about a 2 million percent markup and was a piece of junk before it started, right? You know what I'm saying? So we were thinking about this and how are we going to manage all of this? And I really don't want to spend my whole vacation saying no, literally the entire time. That doesn't sound like any fun. So my husband and I made the choice. We talked about it. We thought about it. And we decided that we would, <laughs> we would relinquish control of this situation and we would get each of our kids one of those prepaid credit cards you know so then they had we put we put the money on and we said to them after taking a deep breath and really 
praying over it, we said to them, this is your money, and you may choose to spend it on vacation however you wish. Now, because of your ages, one of them was really mad that we were even making her go on this vacation. I'll let you guess which one it was. But we said to her, (laughs) we said to her, if you don't spend a dime of it, that's fine. Bring it home. It's still yours. I don't really care. But to the others, we said, this is your money. If you want to spend it all on Dippin' Dots, that would be dumb But if that's what you want to do, that's fine. Now, this took, we had to surrender a lot of control, right? We just had to let it go and see what would happen. Now, let me tell you something. In that week, my kids became the most fiscally responsible human beings you have ever met. I didn't know they had it in them. And my husband and I look back on this, and we we surrendered, and we said, kids, this is yours. We trust you, and I am so glad we did. I'm telling you, it saved our vacation. Now, here's the example of the other one. Okay. They were a little bit younger than they are in that picture right there. My son had a real hard time staying vertical when he was little, so he's falling down in that picture. Um, In fact, right now he's walking around with a big shiner on his eye uh, because his head came in contact with someone else's head, and he got the worst of it. Um, But anyway, they were a little bit younger than they are there in that picture, and there's a night in our home that will live in infamy. I'm sorry if you find this offensive. You can email John later. But the night in question is titled the night of all the throw-up. If there's one reason why not to have four kids, multiple episodes of throw-up is probably one of the best ones that I can possibly come up with. So each of them got sick multiple times during the night. And so, uh, yeah, they felt about like that. Sorry, honey. Uh, (laughs) uh, Each of them got sick multiple times during the night. Two of my kids at that time were in bunk beds. And if there's one thing that's even more awesome than stuff coming out of your face from the floor, it's stuff coming out of your face from an elevation. It really makes the situation extra awesome. And so every, this happens to everybody multiple times during the night. And my husband and I would, would get up. We'd take care of the first one, right? Second, third, fourth. And then there was a couple times where we had no sooner gone back to bed and put our heads on the pillow when we hear it start all over again right? It was horrible. And so we get towards what we didn't know it at the time yet was the end of the night, but we had completely surrendered to this episode of spiritual warfare that is clearly happening in our home. And it's towards the end of the night, and one of the girls was really little, and God bless her. And she, I don't know, she somehow ended up in the hallway and she felt this coming on, and, and she was in the hallway, and, and I don't know how these things work, but she was somehow managing to, like, make progress down the hallway as, as things are coming out of her. And so there's this trail. And so <laughs> at this point, we, I mean, seriously, we were eight of these in at this point, right, at minimum. My husband and I look at each other, and we get some towels out of the bathroom closet, and we cover it up, and we go back to bed. <laughs> Yep, that's what we did. Yep. Now, the next day, (laughs) the next day we get a rug doctor, right? We're going to try our best to take care of the situation. But even with the rug doctor, we haven't changed the carpet yet, and I'm sorry. Okay, we went on vacation instead. Judge me, it's fine. Uh, But even these years later, there's a stain on the carpet that reminds us of the night of all the throw-up. And the night where in hindsight, it is easy to say, oh, I wish we just had cleaned it up. 
And the thing is, when we're in those situations, that's a silly example, but when we're in those situations, man, we are so good at convincing ourselves that the easy wrong answer is actually the right answer. We are so good at telling ourselves that we are actually doing the thing that we are supposed to be doing. And every single one of the key players in this story today, except for possibly Esau, who in this case was a victim, that wasn't always the truth, but in this case, he has, he is tricked, he has this done to him. But every single one of our key players today made the easy, wrong choice that inevitably leads to, oh, I wish I had. <clears throat> Rebecca, you know, she set this whole thing up, and she knew that she knew how things were supposed to end up, and she thought that it had to be up to her because she couldn't see how God was going to fix this situation if she let it go. And so she said, I have to step in. I have to take control. She probably never saw her son again. And I can imagine that during those next 20 or so years, there had to have been a time or two where she would have said, I wish I hadn't, Right? And then there's Isaac, and I know that he couldn't see very well, but he says no less than four times in those few verses, Esau, is it really you? Well, no, it's not Esau. I mean, all he would have had to have done, really, was to call in a servant, right, and say, um, which one of my kids is this? And the servant would have said, well, it's Jacob dressed like a goat, and that would have been awkward, but he would have heard the truth, right? This Isaac, who benefited from the blessing as a second-born son, might have been a little bit willing to let this whole thing go on. I don't know. But in those next years, knowing that his sons wanted to kill each other, I'm guessing there were a few moments of, I wish I had. And then Jacob, I haven't even gotten started on Jacob yet, he went along with his whole scheme that his mother had come up with, including running away. Instead of facing what had happened, he ran away. Now listen, I am all in favor of getting married and having kids and raising your kids and all of that, but you know what? Uh, there ha I can't imagine a scenario by which Jacob is hiding out at his uncle's where he's had to completely rebuild his entire life and give up everything he's ever known, and he's getting married and he's raising all of these kids. I can't imagine the scenario by which he is saying, you know, I am so glad I stole my brother's blessing. This is working out exactly the way I had hoped it would, right? I, again, I'm for having families, but he didn't have to steal his blessing, his brother's blessing, to do that, right? So I can't imagine that during that time there wasn't a whole lot of time spent thinking, I wish I had or I wish I hadn't. And yet, in the midst of all of this, because God, for some reason that I can't understand, uses human beings to do what God wants done, God steps into this situation and somehow repurposes it makes it new, offers opportunities for Jacob to learn from what he's done and offers us opportunities to learn from what has happened. And God can take, I wish I had, and do this amazing thing and turn it into somehow, I'm so glad I did. And I know there's tension for us in that. In the same way there's tension in the way this whole situation eventually ends up working out, for Jacob and Esau, there's tension in this idea, especially for other people, that all of this muck and everything that happens can be repurposed. And I want to tell you that I understand that so well. Some of you know this about me and some of you don't, but I have a divorce in my story. 
And I want to tell you, my, my oldest daughter is from my first marriage, and there is real hurt and real shame and real grief that occurred as a result of that situation. And yet, my oldest daughter is from that marriage, so I can't wish it away, right? There's beauty that came from that. And in my divorce, something that I know that would not probably have been God's will for me, without that, I wouldn't be married to my husband now of 15 years, and I wouldn't have those three other kids. So I don't understand necessarily how it works, but I'm so grateful that it does. I'm so grateful that God can take that stuff and he can make it into something new and repurpose it. There are stains on the carpet. Don't get me wrong. There are consequences that my family feels, that certainly my oldest daughter feels. So it's not, <laughs> there are consequences. There are stains on the carpet. But you guys, the house itself can still be beautiful. And I don't know how God does it, but I'm so thankful that he does. When I was in the midst of all of that, and uh, my daughter was a, a baby, and I was 25, and I went to uh, the West Des Moines campus, and I knew that I was broken. I knew that, you know, there was so much stuff. There was all the stuff that I was carrying because of, of what had happened. And I'm sitting in there um, with, my, with my infant daughter, and I'm hearing Pastor Richard say something that he may have said 50 times, and he's probably said it 50 times since then. But what he said was, God does not do plan Bs. God does multiple plan As. And when he said that, something in my outlook about the rest of my life completely changed. Yes, there was brokenness and there were stains on the carpet, but there's an opportunity for a different, and in my case, probably a, a wonderful plan A. I don't want to say better, I don't know, but a wonderful plan A. So there obviously are going to be times when our wish I had's stick, <laughs> when they just seem to kind of stick around with us, and sometimes we have this idea that the conclusions are inevitable. Sometimes we have this idea that the way the world says things are going to be are actually the way they're going to be. And then God shows up in that and God reminds us because of who he is and because of the story that he is giving us that God does not care one bit about what we think is inevitable. And God does not care one bit about the I wish I had's when we are willing to go back and confess and say that we are sorry and say I accept your gift now of grace and mercy mercy, and I accept the gift of another plan A. God has been doing that throughout history, through this whole mess and throughout the entire story that he gives us. <clears throat> Jacob finally decided after 20-some years that it was time to go back and to go back home and to face his brother. And of course, he knew there was a reasonable likelihood that this was not going to go well. But this man, who had been hiding for 20 years, 
This man who had taken the easy wrong so many times now has had God working on him and has, having, has had God create a new heart in him and he's ready to go back and do the hard right thing that he knows he needs to do. And so he heads back home. He's got his whole family. He's, become, he's been very successful taking care of his uncle's flocks and so he's got this whole entourage and they're heading back and they set up a camp for a night and Jacob's family and, and everyone is, is on the one side of the river, and he's on the other side of the river by himself. And in this really interesting episode that happens in Genesis chapter 32 that you can read about, a man shows up and wrestles with Jacob all night. Now, spoiler alert, this man that he's wrestling with is God. And so Jacob is wrestling with God all night. And this man who had been quick to run away, who had been quick to sneak and lie and get his way, is now this man that has the perseverance and the fortitude and the character to continue this all night long. And the Bible tells us that eventually the match stopped because the man touched Jacob's hip and it was dislocated from his socket. And from that night on, after God and Jacob had it out, Jacob walked with a limp Stains on the carpet, if you will. Jacob walked with a limp, but he had become a man who could now say yes to the hard, right thing. He had been changed by God because that's what God does. God repurposes, God redeems, God redirects, and God makes things new. And so this, this episode in Jacob's life, this time of Jacob's life that had been defined by I wish I had was now going to be defined by I'm so glad I did. And we can read then, going on in the Bible, that Jacob and Esau are reunited. And Jacob and Esau, when they meet each other, they embrace, they hug each other, they kiss each other. And if you think about it, it's this beautiful uh, foreshadowing of what's going to happen with Joseph. Joseph is Jacob's son, and Joseph is estranged from his brother's in the next generation of this story. And when Joseph and his brothers meet, his brothers are terrified, but they embrace, right? And they weep, and they are reconciled. It's not like God is sitting over this and saying, well, you boys messed this up so bad, not even I can fix it. Not even close. And the amazing, beautiful thing, it doesn't even take like a meeting, you know? Like at work, you want to get something done, you have to have a meeting first, or several, and you got to invite 37 people into it. But that's not what God has to do. God says, I've got this. And we read this whole, uh, everything that happened in the Old Testament, and we know that God is working through a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of easy wrongs and a whole bunch of I wish I hads, and God is taking them and he is saying, but wait, I am going to do something you have never seen before. I am going to take every episode of I wish I had, and I'm going to show you just what grace and mercy actually look like. And so it's through his son that he gave us just out of love and mercy and grace that by the wounds of Jesus, by those holes in his hands and the blood that he shed and the wounds in his feet and in his side, that by what Jesus has done for us, that we get to lay down every single I wish I had and Jesus makes it beautiful. We don't get to understand it, but we just say, Jesus, I am so, I am so in awe that you would do that for me. I am so in awe and I am so thankful that there is not a single easy, wrong choice that I have made that you cannot take. 
And Jesus says, lay those at the cross. Lay those at the cross because that's why the cross exists. When Jesus said he came to give us life and give it to us abundantly, he meant put those things down. And then he gives us the courage, the spirit of courage and wisdom to be able to make the hard, right choice that leads to, I'm so glad I did. Here in a few minutes, we are going to say a prayer. And I'm going to invite you when we say that to, uh, to close your eyes and to put your arms out like this in the spirit of receiving. Now, I know that's weird because we're Lutheran, but if you guys were here on Friday night when we did the worship night, it was downright Pentecostal in here. And if you were here, you know that. And if you weren't, you missed a really awesome experience. So our Savior looks at us and sees the reason why he went to the cross and sees nothing but love and sees the people that that he wants to have spending eternity in community with him and his father. Talk about an opportunity to, to know and to be known. We get eternity to do that, but we get a glimpse of it now when we drop all that junk and we let Jesus have it and we say, send your spirit on us, Lord. So that's what we're going to do now. If you're willing, please close your eyes and please uh, put your hands out to receive what Jesus has for us today.